Spiritual Sword Media presents The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. Why do you think bad people seem to prosper and good people seem to suffer? This was really the problem that the psalmist many, many years ago grappled with. And there are a lot of people in our world today, some in the church and many out of the church, that wrestle with this problem. They have a difficult time understanding why it seems that wicked people seem to have life so good Whereas on the other hand, righteous people seem to have problem after problem after problem. And so we want to look at Psalm 73, and I want to, first of all, call your attention to the confusion of the psalmist. And if you have ever wrestled with this problem, then my, I guess my statement to you is you're not alone. Many, many people down through the years have grappled with this problem, including the ancient psalmist. And so first we think about the confusion of the psalmist, his misunderstanding. And when it's all said and done, he misunderstood this subject, not unlike many people today. So let's think for a moment about his misunderstanding. The first thing I want to do is call your attention to the psalmist view of sinners. And as you begin to look at Psalm 73 as it unfolds, you see that he had he had one view of how wicked people lived. And he had this idea that everything seemed to go their way. And so, look at Psalm 73:1. Truly he said, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful. Now note what he says. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And really what he's saying is when he looked at the wicked, when he looked at those who seemed to have no care whatsoever about religious things, Individuals who had no time for God. He said, it seemed to me that they were always prospering. Look also down at verse 7. He said, their eyes bulge with abundance. He said, they have more than heart could wish. In other words, when, when, it, when it comes to things, seems to me they have more than anybody else. Seems to me that their barns are overflowing, that they have material things just in abundance. And then look at verse 12. Behold, he said, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. So first and foremost, he says, when he looked at those who were living in sin, from his limited perspective, they were people of prosperity. 
I mean, they weren't like God's people who continually faced obstacles and difficulties and trials and tribulations. But these people, they were prospering. And then secondly, he said, they were proud. Note, if you would, verse 6. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. And then note verses 8 and 9. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily or proudly. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. If you didn't know better, you would think that they were the ones who owned heaven and earth. So they're filled with pride. And sometimes individuals who seem to have everything going their way, they're arrogant, they're proud, they're haughty. And I think that was the viewpoint, the vantage point of the psalmist. And then note some other things that he says concerning the ungodly or those who are living in sin. In verse 4 he says, These people are pain-free, for there are no pains or pangs in their death but their strength is firm. Can you imagine somebody living a pain-free life? What about people that have no time for God, individuals who could care less about Christianity or about the will of Almighty God? Does it ever seem to you that they're just pain-free? That they live long and healthy lives and then when they die, they die in a state of peace? The psalmist here is saying, here were individuals that from his vantage point, they were pain-free. And then note also, not only were they pain-free, but he said they are problem-free. Note, if you would, verse 6, or rather verse 5. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued as other men. So they're problem-free. They don't have troubles like we have. I mean, there are a lot of people in the world today and there are some people in the church. They look outside in the world and they see people who are in the world and they're prospering and everything seems to be going their way. They're not, they're not troubled. They don't seem to take three steps forward and two steps backwards. That's what the psalmist is saying. If you feel like this, you're not alone. This is something that people have been wrestling with for many, many years. And the psalmist is saying they're pain-free. He said they are problem-free and they are plague-free. Note again verse 5. He said they're not plagued like other men. Now, when you look at Scripture, and you and I, we have the opportunity to to look inside the will of God, the word of God, and we can evaluate what the psalmist saw from his limited perspective in light of scripture. And we know that really when you look at, at the dilemma he faced and the feelings that were in his heart, he was wrong. How do we know he was wrong? Well, there were people in days gone by, wicked people that suffered. There were wicked people in days gone by that faced difficulties and trials and tribulations. I think about Jezebel. Jezebel died a horrible death. She was a wicked woman. That's just one example. 
But now I want you to note his vain reasoning as a saint. So we're talking about the confusion, the misunderstanding of the psalmist and this difficult dilemma that he finds himself in. Why is it that, that bad people seem to be, be prospering and good people seem to suffer so much? So let's note, if you would, his vain reasoning as a saint. First of all, the hopelessness of holiness. Listen to what he says in verse 13. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. Now the footnote in the New King James Version says, Surely I have kept my heart pure in vain. What's he saying? Living for God, it's all vanity. It's worthless. I mean, what do I get out of it? What are the blessings that come my way? I mean, surely I have lived a righteous, holy, godly life for nothing. That's what some people think today. Some people have the idea that because life's not going their way, because everything doesn't just stack up in one neat little, in one neat little package, that God's not on their side. Far be it from the truth. It's not the truth. Let me say this. When problems and troubles and trials seem to be at their zenith or at their greatest in your life, that is not the time to leave the Lord. What you need to do is cleave to the Lord. Sometimes individuals will allow the difficulties of life to misshape their perspective. And so individuals have difficulty discerning with clarity what's right and wrong, truth and error. So the psalmist here, really when you, when you boil it all down, his sense is the hopelessness of holiness. Make no mistake about it, there are people who feel like that today, some in the church. They seem to be riding a wave of prosperity and then something happens and it's as if the roof caves in and now God's not on, God is not on our side. Where was God when all of this happened? Where was God in my moment of despair? Where was God when I faced this difficult situation or this calamity or that calamity? That's what, the, that's what the devil wants you to think. Now note if you would verse 14. The burdens of believers. Here's what the psalmist said. In light of the prosperity of the wicked, in light of the fact that everything seemed to, seems to be just going their way, he said, all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. From sunup to sundown, 24-7, it seems as if my life is off track. Just seems like nothing is going my way. If anything, everything seems to be going against me. The dike's stacked against me. I mean, it seems like I get one thing behind me and then another thing comes my way. I get this behind me and then something else comes up. 
If you feel like that, you're not alone. There are a lot of people that have felt like that in days gone by. And so, the burdens of believers. I would remind you that Job said in the long ago, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble in Job 14.1. What Job is saying is problems, trials, tribulations, difficulties, they are common to all people. Whether you are a saint or a sinner. Now, consider with me in the second place the confession of the psalmist. We talk about his confusion, his misunderstanding. But now we want to think about his understanding. Because when you look at, at Psalm 73, there is first of all the realization of the psalmist. And I want to ask this question. When you begin to read and study and meditate upon Psalm 73, when do you think that light popped on? When do you think the psalmist was able to, to gain some perspective to what life is all about and to, in his mind, the seeming prosperity of the wicked and the difficulties of the righteous? Well, listen to verse 15. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful or too troublesome to me. We talk about sometimes going into our study or sitting at a desk and trying to, to analyze life and to somehow draw some conclusions to some of the things we've been facing in life and to, to make sense out of what we see and hear in life. And, and there are times when all we can do is shake our heads. We may not have an answer to everything. We may not fully understand why this occurs here and that occurs over here other than to say that we live in a world that's subjected to pain and trials and tribulations and death. But I want you to know with me where the psalmist received his education. When did that light pop on? When was he able to come to some sense of an understanding of what was going on? Listen to what he says. Verse 16 again. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then he said, I understood their end. Do you know what the psalmist is saying? What he is saying to generation after generation of people is this. I was completely perplexed, confused, I misunderstood this whole subject. I had no idea in my mind why it seemed like the, the, the wicked were constantly prospering and the righteous were continually suffering. Until, he said, I went into the sanctuary of God. In other words, until I went to public worship. 
Now we talk about the benefits and the byproducts of the blessings of corporate worship. I could give you a lot of reasons, but let me just say this. Public worship affords us two very distinct blessings. Number one, there is what I would call enlightenment. Now put yourself in the shoes of the psalmist. He is upside down with this problem. He he doesn't understand what's going on. And so he says, when he went to the sanctuary of God, when he went to the place of public worship, then that light went off, he understood. That's what he said. He said, then I understood their end. You and I, we gain a great deal of enlightenment or education, if you please, through public worship. Sometimes worship helps to crystallize what life is all about. It helps to put into perspective the fact that we are here today and gone tomorrow. I think about the fact that we come to worship three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Two hours on Sunday morning, one hour on Sunday evening, and then an hour midweek. Now, put that on one side of the scales and then put time away from worship on the other side. You and I are outside of worship far more than we are inside of worship. And the point is, when you and I are out in the world and we're dealing with problems and trials and tribulations and difficulties and and all of the things of life, we can lose our sense of direction. Is it not the case that the devil is constantly bombarding us? Is it not true that the devil is trying to literally pull the rug from out, out, out from under us? Is it not the case that the devil wants to destroy our faith? The answer is yes. And so when you are out here in the world, sometimes you lose your sense of perspective. Well, worship affords us the opportunity to gain enlightenment, to realize that sometimes life is not what it seems, that it may seem one way when in reality it's not that way at all. I think about the words of the psalmist in 119.105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. God's word literally illuminates the the life. It helps us gain direction. It is a compass that will guide us safely from earth to heaven. And then there is a second, I believe, blessing or byproduct, and that is encouragement. Day to day in this world, we are beaten down. Some days are better than others, but... We face a lot of problems, a lot of heartaches, a lot of trials, a lot of tribulations. We lose loved ones. We're on the mountaintop one day, we're in the valley the next. We're back up on the mountaintop and then back down in the valley. Why is that? Because it's life. That's what life is. Life is about problems. Life is about learning to handle problems. We talk about encouragement. In Hebrews 10, 25, the writer said, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. We encourage, we edify one another by our presence. Let me give you two sub-points to encouragement. Number one, we gain spiritual strength. 
when we are in the world, the devil is constantly chipping away at us. Sometimes we need our spiritual batteries recharged. And so how do we do that by corporate worship? Peter would say, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in 2 Peter 3, verse 18. The Hebrew writer talks about one of the benefits of understanding God's word is that we are able to discern between good and evil, Hebrews 5, 14. What is it that encourages me and helps to build spiritual strength, worship, being in the presence of Almighty God, praying, singing, studying from his word. Those are things that help to, to keep me in the right frame of mind. And then there's a second thing. We gain a sense of spiritual stability or steadfastness. Paul would say, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. In Ephesians 4.14, the apostle Paul talks about those who are tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Are there not people today who have walked away from the Lord, they've walked away from the church, they've said Christianity is not for me because I do not understand why bad people seem to have everything going their way and all I do suffer in this life. I promise you there are people like that. There are people out here, they don't want anything to do with God because they misunderstand this whole dilemma. And yet when we come to worship, we understand the importance of living for God day in and day out. We understand that there are good people in days gone by that suffered just like we did. When you go back and you read about some of the great saints of Almighty God, one of the things that stands out, doesn't matter how great a man or woman they were, doesn't matter what kind of person they were, guess what? They faced trials and tribulations and troubles. Read about Joseph. Joseph was, he was a good boy. He was a good man, and yet his life was marked by trouble and trial and adverse circumstances. What was he trying to do? Do what's right. So when we come to worship, we can get a sense of what, what life is all about and that there's a better life awaiting us. So the realization of the psalmist, and now note, if you would, the affirmation of the psalmist. Two things here I want you to see with me very quickly. First, consider his faith and resolve in God. Listen, if you would, to verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold, you hold me by your right hand. And then also look at verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I, that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength. Literally, God is the rock of my heart and my portion forever. Let me ask this question. Have you ever faced tough times in life? Maybe you've had troubles or trials at work. It might be the case that you've had problems with your family. Quite possibly you have lost a loved one. 
and somebody has stood by you through thick and thin, day and night, 24-7. And when you think about that individual and somebody asks you about that person, you respond by saying, he or she has been my rock. What they're saying is, they have stood with me, come what may. And what the psalmist is saying here is, God is my rock. He is standing by me, he has stood by me, come what may. Sometimes we lose sight of that. And then look at verse 27. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all your works. God will take care of the wicked, the unrighteous, the sinful in his own time and in his own way. What you and I need to do is stay faithful to God. So let me give you a second thing. We talk about his faith and resolve in God, but then his future reward from God or from the Lord. Listen to what he says in verse 24. You will guide me with your counsel. Now, please listen carefully. And afterward, receive me to glory. He's talking about eternity here. Whatever we face in this life, what we can rest assured about is this. One day God will receive us into glory. The psalmist in Psalm 23 talks about going through the valley of the shadow of death. And he said, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever to know that there are provisions that have been made for me, to know that I may, not have all the, I may not have all the answers to the questions of life. I may not understand everything, but I know this. By living a faithful life, one day I have a future reward from the Lord. What the devil wants is for me to lose, to lose track of life, to lose my sense of direction, to lose my sense of bearings, he wants me to, to look at life as a big picture and to see the unrighteous, the sinful, the ungodly seemingly having their way. Everything just going great. But you live a righteous life, it's going to be tough. Well, what we need to understand is whether we're a saint or a sinner, we're going to face good times and bad times. But if we are a child of God, we have the assurance that God will be with us, come what may. I would close by reminding you of the words of Job. Job faced a lot of dilemmas in his life, and if you look at Job, Job was a good man. And he suffered immensely. He had three friends that tried to counsel him about why he was facing the difficulties that had come his way. His three friends gave him false advice or false counsel. But here's what Job said in chapter 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I may not be able to answer every question you have about the problems you're facing in this life, but I can tell you one thing. What you need to do is trust Almighty God. 
Peter said, casting all your care on him. Whatever cares you have, whatever difficulties you have, whatever questions you have, cast them on him. Why is that? Because he cares for you. Don't ever forget that. If you're here today and you're not a child of God, I want to encourage you to come to Christ, to realize that Jesus paid the price for your sins. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe Jesus to be the Son of God? Would you be willing to repent, to turn away from a life of sin, Luke 13, 3? Confess his name before others, Matthew 10, 32. Be immersed in a watery grave of baptism, rising to walk in newness of life, according to Romans 6, 3 and 4. In so doing, you can become a child of God. You can become a member of the church. The promise is if you are faithful until death, the Lord will give you that crown of life. If you're here today, maybe you have somehow lost your way. Maybe you, like the psalmist, have been grappling with this question. Maybe you've been asking, where is God in what I'm facing? Well, we would be happy to pray with you and for you. We know that God abundantly pardons, 1 John 1, 9, and we know that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can pray for one another. And God hears our prayers. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life when the clouds unfold their wings of strife? Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again and to see video archives, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul.